0: Welcome to Vanfield, and also welcome to Monday, also known as, oh my Lord, are there still four more days left in this week? The week is only just getting started, but we are already inundated with developments on Mar-a-Lago on that investigation, and we are getting answers to a few of those very pesky questions. Like number one, what secrets were being stored in Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago pool room? And number two, who exactly had access to them? The what is shocking, but the who is scary and it's also really weird and we have a whole bunch of the who's coming up in just a second we now know that thousands of people traipsed through mar-a-lago while those classified and top secret documents were you know right around there the near the pool in that pool room that is the time between trump's last day in office january 2021 when the documents were moved down to mar-a-lago from the white house and april 2022 when the Department of Justice asked Trump's team to make the room a little more secure, please. So that's when they added a lock. That is 15 months of potential access for anyone and everybody who visited that resort. And that includes Mar-a-Lago members and their guests. And then there's really eclectic mix of celebrities who were invited to visit, which included Sylvester Stallone and Vanilla Ice and my pillow guy, Mike Lindell. Uh, and a really long list that I'm going to show you in a minute. But there is also some new reporting tonight of a potential spy. Can't even believe I'm saying this. A spy with ties to Russia. She went by the name Anna de Rothschild. And by the looks of these photos, she infiltrated Trump's inner circle at Mar-a-Lago. Now, I'm not even talking about that woman from China who was arrested making her way into Mar-a-Lago, and she was carrying a whole bunch of... Cell phones. She had a trove of listening devices and debugging gear in her hotel room. That is a whole other lady. I'm talking about this woman, and I'm going to have a whole lot more on this woman and that passport. Don't get too comfy because that's really the passport. That's all coming in a second. But first, some brand new developments on the documents themselves. The Intel community actually has been pretty quiet for the last 21 days since the club was raided. Nobody's really sounded the, the hu- huge like five alarm fire uh, with any detail yet on just how damaging it could be if those documents get into the wrong hands. But now they are talking and it does not matter which side of the political circus you buy your peanuts. This stuff is going to curl your wig. According to the unsealed affidavit, that's, you know, all the parts that <laughs> aren't lined and blocked and sharpied out. There were some documents that were seized from Mar-a-Lago that made a few hearts sink in the intel world. Here's what the investigators wrote in the affidavit, and I'll quote. The FBI agents observed markings reflecting the following compartments dissemination controls. HCS, FISA, ORCON, NOFORN, and SI. Based on my training and experience, I know the documents classified at these levels typically contain NDI. That's national defense information. Several of the documents also contain what appears to be F. POTUS's handwritten notes. F. POTUS's former president of the United States. Okay, so that's a lot of letters. And they all look kind of, you know, spooky and, and everything, but I want to break down what the acronyms actually mean because it matters. And when you actually know it, sort of looks like a Tom Clancy book. HCS means the material is all about human sources, like spies, people, people that we've placed overseas to help us figure out who's out to get us and hurt us. FISA FISA refers to information from court-ordered surveillance about foreign intelligence, and that includes things like wiretaps. ORCON, O-R-C-O-N. That means that a document is so sensitive that it requires the originator's approval in order to share. So the guy who wrote it has to sign off. No foreign, F-N-O-F-O-R-N. That means material that cannot be shared with any foreign entity ever, even our allies, unless you get permission. And S-I means special intelligence, and that's stuff like signals and intercepts. And here's why all these things, all these acronyms are so scary. About 10 months ago, while those documents were just hanging out, Steps away from all the guests who were swimming and drinking at Mar-a-Lago. A chill was going down the spine of our special agents in Washington. They did not know why, but all of a sudden, things were starting to go sideways in the world of spycraft. The New York Times says, quote, American counterintelligence officials warned every CIA station and base around the world about troubling numbers of informants recruited from other countries to spy for the United States, being captured or killed. Check the date. That's October of last year. Why was that happening? Why, in October of last year, was American intelligence freaking out about their undercover people all being clipped? Did somebody find out about those American assets, about those people, who they were and where they were and what they were doing? Are the ones who weren't actually murdered still alive, maybe somewhere, like in a gulag? Jesus, are they being tortured somewhere because of what they know and who they work for? Us? It is precisely for those reasons that documents with these markings HCS, FISA, ORCON, NOFORN, and SI, it's precisely that docs with those. Acronyms are kept under lock and key and then put in a sarcophagus and then surrounded by kryptonite and guarded by laser cats. These are really things that are kept in something called skiffs. You've heard about it. They're secured compartmented information facilities. And they are no joke because real people's lives are at stake. That and billions of dollars worth of our, you know, national defense product <laughs> and spycraft um, that takes decades to put in place, you know. This woman, the, the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, she says they are now going to begin a classification review of all the documents uh, to try to figure out if and how the secrets that were inside those documents could harm our country or if they already have. She says those classified materials out in the open for so damn long uh, could have compromised what she calls, quote, clandestine human sources. That's just a fancy way of saying Americans and foreign nationals were spying for the U.S. They were spying for us. They were doing the job for us, helping us that those people may just have been outed and that their lives are in danger. And God forbid that it's happened already. Oh, and then there's this. Incidentally, we now know what was in those original 15 boxes of Mar-a-Lago documents. You know, the ones that Trump reluctantly turned over to the government way back in January? Remember, that was way, way before the raid three weeks ago. Um, and it discovered, like, you know, of course, in Mar-a-Lago, they discovered and they seized 20 more boxes. Uh, but the 15 from January, the originals, the OGs, inside those boxes, we now know that there were 67 confidential documents. 92 of them were secret documents. 25 were marked as top secret. That's the stuff that none of us is ever supposed to see as for Trump's request for a special master. I know you've heard about that. It's a weird word. I know. Basically, it's an independent person that, you know, isn't on either side. And that person sorts through everything, all the boxes, all the documents, and they pull out and they hold off to the side all the stuff that's like attorney-client privilege for the president, or maybe executive privilege, you know, for, for Trump. So there's a judge in that case. <laughs> judge for every case. Um, northern Florida. Not southern Florida, where the Mar-a-Lago thing happened. This is a northern federal judge uh her name is judge eileen cannon and uh judge cannon was appointed by trump and she has given the united states government until tomorrow to respond to trump's request for a special master i want someone to go through those documents i want them to pull out the stuff that should be mine and mine only because it's my lawyer and me or it's presidential stuff that no one should be seeing even investigators and that judge also wants something else uh, she wants to see more information about all the stuff that was taken all the stuff that was down there in Mar-a-Lago. So she's also asked the Department of Justice to submit um, a sealed filing with all that important stuff that's outlined in it. And we should have some movement on that. On Thursday at 1 p.m., I would send you a calendar entry, but I can't, so I'm just going to have to rely on you. Mark your calendar. That's going to happen again in the Northern District, in the federal court up north. There's a lot of legal fronts right now, and I forgive you for wondering what the hell, I, I, it's hard. Um, but every one of these fronts is really, really serious. They don't get more serious and they don't get more complicated than this. It's espionage, it's like overthrowing democracy, it's, it's big. And to that end, ABC News is now reporting that Trump's advisors are freaking out at how tough it has been to find a skilled lawyer, not just a lawyer, a really good lawyer who knows this stuff. All of the lawyers that represented him during the Mueller hearing are no longer working for him. And sources say none of the heavyweight criminal lawyers want to work with him. As we've discussed before, Trump has a long history of being an impossible client who ignores legal advice and does not pay his lawyers. This isn't disputed. This isn't political. This is like decades of reporting before he ever even had a sniff of the idea of being president. So let's be clear. At this point, any lawyer who wants to sign on with Trump today knows that he or she is not going to enjoy that magical dome of criminal protection that every sitting president gets as a perk. That makes the lawyering sort of easier, right? Because you have that whole thing saying, yeah, we don't charge sitting presidents. And then there's this guy, Trump's heavyweight legal ally, former attorney Alan Dershowitz, Trump's former attorney. Even Dershowitz is now sounding a warning. He wrote an op-ed in The Hill, and um, Professor Dershowitz writes this, quote, the unredacted portions of the affidavit suggest there may be enough evidence to seek and obtain the indictment of former President Trump. Now, he went on to say a lot of other things in support of the president, but just think of that statement alone that there's enough evidence to indict a former president of the United States of America. That is uncharted water that we're heading into. And I know we have said that a gazillion times before, but this is like Andrea Gale waters, okay? It's the kind of water that Senator Lindsey Graham, a staunch Trump supporter, says, y'all better start thinking about an alternate route. Last night, the senator told Fox News, if there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle there will be riots in the streets riots in the streets I don't like that because I like law that's what I do and the last I checked prosecutors do not shy away from following the law because somebody burns down a Wendy's or even firebombs a prosecutor's home or a judge's home or threatens Tony Soprano-like revenge. And no disrespect to Senator Graham. He's done a lot of great things in his career. But politicians should not be in the business of suggesting that lawmen back off what they do for a living because of what the public might think. I'm joined by three people who know a lot more about this than I do. Laura Ballman is a global affairs and national security expert. She's a former CIA operations officer who ran a counterintelligence division for the United States Department of Energy. Fred Tesey is an attorney and a former federal prosecutor. And Sherry Jacobus is a former Republican strategist and the host of the podcast, Politics with Sherry Jacobus. Welcome to all three of you. We've got a lot to get to. So I'm gonna start with you, Laura, because you're the, you know, intelligence lady. How worried should we be about the things that I just talked about? The fact that, you know, last October, there were warnings being sent out before we knew anything about the National Archives or Mar-a-Lago or boxes or any of that. But the intelligence community was freaking out because people were getting picked off and they didn't know why. And they sent out the warning all around the world. And now we're learning that these boxes have been like, you know, in the pool room for like a year and a half.
1: This is extremely important. Uh, you know, every... Every document that is marked HCS, no foreign, et cetera, all the markings you went through are marked that way because they protect sources and methods. And by that, we're talking about actual human beings. And the paper trail that could be obtained by, I'm sure we'll talk about this, random foreign nationals wandering into uh, Mar-a-Lago can be you know exploited people can be hunted down they can be arrested they can be assassinated they can they can be executed and in some countries even entire families are punished because someone works for a foreign country you know no one in the united states is above the law including former president Donald Trump. And I think it's really important that this case goes forward because it reassures our allies and who share information with us and the brave men and women who volunteer to work for the United States to report on things like pending terrorist attacks, weapons of mass destruction, all sorts of threats to our our country and our people, and frankly, democracy and the Western you know, world. So uh, yeah, this is really, really serious.
0: Well, there's the list of all the things um, that were marked in these boxes uh, that, that Donald Trump had. And I understand the arguments of Trump supporters that he's the president and he's allowed to have that stuff and he's allowed to declassify that stuff. But that doesn't mean he's allowed to continue to have it. Uh, some of that stuff isn't actually legally allowed to be in the presence of a former president regardless of whether he waved that wand which constitutionally he is allowed to do so don't let anyone tell you he's not allowed to he is but that's not the issue here so fred i get so worried when i hear people you know making veiled threats or suggesting veiled threats that uh there's going to be blood that runs in the streets if you you know indict the president the former president and I know that prosecutors really get their backs up when they hear that kind of stuff, because that's what you do for a living. You follow the law and um, you're not supposed to be threatened or cajoled to not do it.
2: No. And, and I, for one, and I'm sure it's speak for a lot of prosecutors. Uh, we don't respond very well to threats. We don't respond well to intimidation. Uh, we don't respond well to coercion. In fact, if anything, we kind of double down our efforts to make sure that justice is pursued. Now, Having said that, also as a prosecutor, beyond a reasonable doubt, it's not an easy task. You, you know, this, this This could be, should be. They may have gone in. They didn't go in. Who knows? This is a real simple, actually not a very difficult case to prosecute. You take the documents that the president was alleged to have had. You look at the names, list of the people that are on there. You look at the people that have been either harmed or injured, and you start to match them up one-on-one. Good old-fashioned law enforcement, hard work, investigations, procedures, grand jury, subpoenas, and ultimately, if the law was broken, an indictment. But just because people may have been there, that's not enough. They're going to have to get more.
0: So, Sherry, politically speaking, um, you know, I heard Senator Graham and, and a lot of others uh, decrying people who were rioting in the streets because they were angry about a George Floyd prosecution or they were angry that it wasn't going far enough. And here they are saying, look out, there's going to be rioting in the streets. Now, I don't know if Senator Graham meant this, because I'm not in his head. I don't know if he meant, gee, I'm worried about this and it's going to happen, it's, that shouldn't you know, stop anyone from doing their job prosecuting. Or if he meant, don't do this, because you know, it's not right for the country. He sure didn't say that about the, the George Floyd prosecution and, and the rioters in the streets. He told them all to get the hell off the streets and stop burning down Wendy's, as most of us wanted them to do.
3: Well, first of all, I want to commend you for the way you explained all of this. It's complicated material. Uh, and I, I think if every everybody could watch how you explained this, they'd understand it. Uh, and they need to, because the reason... They that Lindsey Graham thinks oh they're going to be riding in the street. First of all, they won't be riding in the street. But people don't understand it, so they're more apt to believe the quick soundbite. They're out to get me. They're being unfair instead of following the facts. Uh, and as the facts start rolling out, and I think it's going to get a lot worse. Frankly, we know now where there's reports that Trump used to travel around with these boxes of information to foreign countries, uh, where our enemies were there, and they'd be in hotel rooms. So I think there's a lot more that's coming out. I think the people that kind of suspect this or know this are trying to prepare us for worse information coming out as if it can get any worse. But Lindsey Graham has changed. I knew Lindsey Graham when he was a freshman House member, and I was communications director for the House Education and Workforce Com- Committee. He was a freshman. I used to help him out. He changed under Trump. Something happened to him on that golf trip. So when he says there's going to be rioting in the street, he's calling for rioting in the street. He is echoing what Donald Trump has been saying. It's not going to to happen. It didn't work out for them very well on January 6th, uh, and it's not going to work out for them now. I, I think that they are flailing. Like I said, this is going to get a lot worse. Politically, it was downright stupid for him to say that, to even suggest that, uh, just as it is when Trump does it. It worries me
0: when that gets out, because some people take it as as a signal. And, and on January 6th, a lot of people took that as a signal, uh, no matter what they believed or didn't, you know, th- th- give them hell, you know, fight like hell. One, one location. A that, was one the- lo-
3: that was just one location, though. This rioting in the streets all over the country yeah. is just not going to happen. I think they're wishing it would happen. It's not. Well, I sure hope it doesn't, but I am not as
0: optimistic in that respect. Okay, guys, don't go anywhere, um, Laura, Fred, and Cherry, because um, up next, that weird, weird, long, strange list of people who shimmied and sashayed at Mar-a-Lago within mere feet of some of our most sensitive state secrets. They are names that we all know. Sylvester Stallone, Vanilla Ice, even one of the Beach Boys was there. But if you're not so worried about those guys, what about that alleged spy lady? named Anna de Childs or whatever the hell her real name was. How did somebody with an ID like this get so up close and personal with Trump on the Mar-a-Lago links and so close to our secrets? Just, you know, steps away. And then later he is the infamous school shooter from Paducah, Kentucky. Remember that face? A quarter century ago. That's what he looks like now. And if he gets his way, he will be sprung free. In a moment, you're going to meet the student that he and his gun sentenced to life in a wheelchair. And we're going to get her take on all that. It's all ahead. Welcome back. Who should we be trusting with America's most sensitive state secrets? But clearly the answer is very few, right? <laughs> and among them, only people on a need-to-know basis. You know, people with double and triple and quadruple security clearance. These kinds of people go through rigorous background checks before they can see any classified documents. And even if they qualified to see the classified stuff, it does not mean that they're allowed to see the secret stuff. And as for the stuff that's marked top secret, forget about it. Before you can see that stuff, government's going to need to know everything about you. Your history, your family, your family's history, your friends, your friends' history. And that's only just the tip of the iceberg. But ever since Donald Trump brought hundreds of top-secret documents to Mar-a-Lago, we cannot be 100% sure just who has had access to America's most sensitive secrets. Trump's entire family and all of his friends have had the run of Mar-a-Lago. Members of the club can pretty much go anywhere they want. Ditto for anybody who's rented the space for a wedding or a party. And then there is the hodgepodge of celebrities who've been dropping by. Sylvester Stallone was at a fundraiser at Mar a Lago in April of 2021. The very tanned and lovely actor George Hamilton was spotted there, too. Former New York Yankee Alex Rodriguez has dropped by the beach resort, as has the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell. And this past New Year's Eve, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, he played a show there with the Beach Boys you're probably thinking, okay, come on, what would Villanelle Ice want with any state secrets? And my answer to you would be probably nothing. But the fact is that he and anybody like him could have jimmied a lock on the pool room door where those top secret documents spent more than a year and a half sitting in boxes on a dank floor next to the room with the stacked up pool furniture. Trump's former White House press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, told ABC News this, and I will quote her. At Mar-a-Lago... The priority is the members, not security, period. There would be times when a member would bring a guest, where the background check was shady, and we would get these calls, and it was always, let them in, let them in, and the vetting process was definitely not what it should have been. And sure, that might be okay when it's Sylvester Stallone or Vanilla Ice, but what if a Russian spy tried getting in? Because guess what? That may have happened too. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette is reporting a 33-year-old Ukrainian-born woman with ties to Russia was able to gain access to Mar-a-Lago and Trump's inner circle, all because she simply used a false name, Anna de Rothschild. According to the report, her real name is Ina Yashchinchin. I'm not sure if I'm even saying that right. Yashchinchin. Um, she posed as a member of the famed Rothschild family, and the Post-Gazette says that she used these fake U.S. and Canadian passports to do it. She was apparently wearing a Rolex. She was driving a very new and expensive Mercedes-Benz. And that, we are told, was enough to gain access to the club. And you can see from these photos of her hanging out at Mar-a-Lago and even posing with former President Donald Trump and Senator Lindsey Graham on the golf course that she was there in the inner circle. Again, this was all while those top-secret documents were just sitting there in an unsecured pool room don't forget it was unsecured before you know an extra padlock went on it was this young woman simply committing a fraud to get into a fancy club or was this an act of espionage laura ballman fred tc and sherry jacobus are still with me laura with your intelligence background is that the kind of reporting and pictures that you look at and you just sort of get like you get queasy
1: Absolutely. I mean, the red flags are there. She comes from one country. She may have entered through Canada, which is a technique that foreign spies often use to gain access to the United States. She has apparently two false passports, at least. And, you know, being Ukrainian-born with Russian documents is also a huge, I mean, a, a, a huge uh, maybe red light because so many of the Ukrainian services are penetrated by the Russians. Uh, so that's concerning. Also, to have access to that kind of paper, I mean, to show how valuable that's these sorts of reports are during the iran hostage crisis the iranians actually brought in weavers and children to take the pieces of shredded hcs documents and put them back together it took months so that they could identify cia officers and cia sources so yeah you know it's it also shows i think that Donald Trump and his circle certainly don't appear to see young, beautiful women as threats. Again, a that's great why, thing that's for why, a foreign and...
0: It's, it's why the Russians have come up with honeypots. I love that name, honeypots. They're sexy and they're exactly. sticky and they're also really dangerous. They're spies, uh, pretty for a reason. Uh, people should also know that, you know, saying the Secret Service is at Mar-a-Lago, that's great, but the, the Secret Service protects the president. doesn't, you know, look out for, for spies uh, who might be, you know, poking into the pool room for a kiss or a, or a peek at boxes. So, Fred, if Anna Rothschild ends up being a spy and if... God forbid she ended up getting her nose into some of those boxes. What does that do in terms of the exposure for the former president um, and, and what he's already facing?
2: So the answer to your question is, this is the great thing about being a prosecutor. This is the great thing about being an FBI agent. You have the opportunity to investigate the facts and the information. You're not allowed to rely upon, again, supposition or innuendo. I mean, you know, three years ago, everybody screamed and yelled about the information that was in the Steele Report. We saw how that went. Two years ago, everybody yelled and screamed about the disinformation to keep information about the laptop off off of the Internet. The bottom line is, is that those things come and go. What the job of the Justice Department is, is to dig into this. If it turns out that she is a Russian spy. They'll find that out. If it turns out that she did get in there to steal the secrets, they'll find that out. If it turns out that she actually did Jimmy a lock, and not just kind of supposition, but she did Jimmy a lock, grab documents, walk out with them and do something untoward with them, then guess what? That's going to be an indictment. That's going to be a prosecution, but that's why we have investigations and then ultimately indictments and trials, because you got to prove all this stuff beyond a reasonable doubt. And she may very well be. And if it turns out that she is, it's one of two things. Either the people of Mar-a-Lago were just incredibly stupid and asleep at the switch, or this woman was able to get in and steal some of the state secrets.
0: So, Sherry, um, 10 days ago you were on the show and you said that, I don't even remember what it was that day, because every day there's something new, but that day you said, this could be the tipping point where people start to really think, well, maybe this prosecution of Donald Trump is legitimate. Even those who say it's all political, it's all, you know, a, a potential 2024 running mate who's being sullied and dirtied and, and hopefully, that you know, if the Democrats get their way, he'll never be allowed to run again but that was 10 days ago and this is today and the way i look at the law i mean i do one murder case and i'm on it for two years it just takes a long time for prosecutors to do their job and, and of course for a trial process as well do you think that that 10 days since has made any difference are we are we anywhere near a tipping point because we hear lindsey graham saying that blood's gonna run in the streets.
3: Yeah, I, I think the fact that Lindsey Graham is desperate in saying such a thing is one of the indications that we are at the tipping point. Uh, this is just too much for the American people to handle. And the next question they're going to be looking at, OK, is Donald Trump just so stupid that he happened to have this information, these classified top secret documents uh, and just, you know, didn't care, left doors open? Or was that all part of the plan? Were there other spies? Uh, Rolling Stone is now, I guess, tonight reporting that the informa- that Trump was bra- was bragging to people that he had information on french president macron about his sex life and his personal life and he's telling people that it is from intelligence reports so now we have now we know that donald trump himself is the problem and what i had said before the break to uh the reports that he was he would carry have these boxes with him when he went to foreign countries you don't bring that type of information with you unless you're showing it to someone so we are going to be Boy. next looking at donald trump actually engaging in releasing this information at various levels and i think we've all known that that was probably coming and we're very careful how we talk about it uh but this information tonight in rolling stone is sort of first now putting our toe in the water because this again i think we have people in our government who know what has happened but preparing the american people for this uh is, is different is, is huge and- yes
0: let me be clear, we don't know anything about releasing information. We're just working on holding information at this point. So there's a lot more to go. And, and God forbid our, our foreign allies uh, now will continue to, to do work with us and do you know intelligence operations, knowing that this you know, could have jeopardized their agents as well. I have to leave it there. Laura Ballman, Fred TC, and Sherry Jacobus, thank mm-hmm. you. All three of you will have you yeah. back. Coming up, Paducah, Kentucky. A time before mass shooter drills and bulletproof backpacks when a teen could kill three of his classmates and eventually be up for parole. Now that killer may just get out, but the student that he and his bullets sentenced to life in a wheelchair is about to speak out on this show about that possibility. And later, call it a two-step, call it an Irish jig, maybe even a plie. Was this enough to convince this police officer that this driver was sober. We have some street justice straight ahead. Nicholas Cruz was back in court today in Florida. His own life on the line for having killed 17 fellow students at Parkland High School four and a half years ago. We're in the penalty phase of Cruz's trial where jurors are going to decide if he lives or dies for gunning down all those kids. Prosecutors have given the court and the world a glimpse into his mind and it's awful doodles and drawings of automatic weapons, ammunition, satanic images, pentagrams, even scrawlings asking for the death penalty. All these pictures being shown while survivors and victims' families bear the excruciating task of watching and listening. Final decisions expected sometime this fall. And while all this plays out in Florida, something else is happening in Paducah, Kentucky. Way back in 97, a 14-year-old boy named Michael Carneal brought a gun to school, and he hunted down three of his fellow students. Killed him. Five others survived his bullets. The school shootings at that point were a rarity. This was two years before Columbine. The term school shooting wasn't even in our vocabulary. Michael Carneal pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 25 years. And it's been 25 years. And at the end of next month, Carneal, who's now 39, is going to face a parole board, and he might be given the chance to walk free. You know, um, it's just a chance, so don't get too wound up about it at this point, because the killer may not be released. Maybe not now, maybe not ever. But it is still a reopening of the wounds for the people of West Paducah, and especially for Carniel's victims and their families. Families of Nicole Hadley, Casey Steger, Jessica James, all of them shot dead missy jenkins was shot in the chest that day but she survived she was paralyzed from the chest down and she's been using a wheelchair ever since 25 years in a wheelchair and when we come back missy jenkins now missy jenkins smith 25 years later on the possibility of freedom for the shooter who took so much of hers that's next <laughs> Michael Carneal is an infamous name. And we know his name because back in 97 at 14 years old, he did something so terrible, so outside the norm, so despicable that his name stuck with us. He shot up his school. Three kids died. Five were badly hurt. And I know what you're thinking. This happens all the time. But back then, it did not. He was an outlier. He got life, no chance for parole for 25 years. And his number is up. He has a chance at getting out which is not something that's easy to process for Missy Jenkins-Smith. She took a bullet to the chest that fateful day, and she's been paralyzed ever since. And today, she's a public speaker and the author of two books, Choose to be Happy, and Lessons from a School Shooting Survivor. And while Missy will never walk again, Michael Carneal is getting a shot at walking free. She joins me now in a News Nation TV exclusive, Missy. Thanks so much for um, for being with me. I always wonder what it's like for somebody who's just had so much taken from them to hear that um, the the killer who nearly killed them uh, may end up joining the rest of us out here, the, the ranks of the free.
4: I know it, it is hard because there are um, victims that are having to deal with the consequences and don't have parole. And the person that forced this future on us of, of our fate of what, what our rest of our lives are going to be like is getting a chance that we'll, we will never get for sentence for life. And I think it's just a little frustrating because I don't want others to get the, get the idea that there's no, you know, that there's, there's consequences, but they're not going to stick forever. He could potentially still have some kind of life. I mean, he's 39, um, you could have another 30 or 40 years, and that's something that three girls, people I knew that only had one decade of life, isn't going to get, and they don't get parole. And I, don't, I don't either. And the, there's so many victims. I've learned that besides there being eight people physically injured, there were so many people scarred that day, even if they were in a surrounding community. That sense of, of innocence was taken away, thinking that, you know, you go to school without having to worry about someone hurting
0: you. You've lived like a little less than three quarters of your life um, paralyzed because of what he did to you. Thank God you lived. And thank God we're talking. Yes. But you also have two children yourself. You were 15, a sophomore, when you were shot by him. And you have a 15 year old as well as a 12 year old. And I cannot imagine. What do you tell them about these active shooter drills that they go through in school? What do they know about your horror?
4: Well, um, I try to share my story with with them so that they know how important it is to look for the signs of of school violence, that it's it's not, you don't live in fear, but at the same time, you need to be able to not act as if it's not going to happen. I think there's too many people there that have, I guess the way to, they try to cope by saying, Oh, it's not going to happen here. We're going to be fine. We're okay. And you know, that's something that you can't you can't do. You can't live in fear, but you also can't not look at the signs of what um, a school shooting you know could could be. But, um, you know, Michael before this happened, he told people something big was going to happen. He even brought the gun to school two weeks before it happened, and um, people who saw it didn't say anything. So there's there's things that can be done. If we just not, if we can't just sit and just say, oh, it's not going to happen to us, you know, you have to look at those signs.
0: I have just, you know, uh, 40 seconds left, but I, I need to ask if you're going to be in court, if you have any chance to be um, heard and, and if your voice uh, matters in this process of this, um, of this parole process.
4: I do. Um, I'm going to be able to, to speak. Um, I think every um, victim is allowed 10 minutes. But I really think it's important for us to um, look at his ability to be responsible for himself after this many years. I mean, he's been taken care of since he was 14 um, in, in the prison. And so for him to get out at 39 and to be able to take care of himself and even the stressors of, of the world now, you know, he said that mental illness is what caused him to do what he did. He's taking medication for that, but he's going to be responsible to take care of himself. And I can't imagine the stress of what that can do to a person if he's doing it on his own. I, There's going to, um, you know, the victims are going to have a hard time dealing with the fact that he's not, you know, not serving
0: consequences anymore. But it's scary to know that there's a what if, you know, that he I want to talk through. to you again. I, I would love mm-hmm. to, to have you back again when that, um, I, when that comes up, it's not, not, not long it, from now. So let's, let's meet again, it. Missy, and let's, um, let's go through this and see what happens. Thank That's you so it. much for a, <laughs> for being with us. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad we can talk Thank you. Um, and, and God bless you. Thank you so much. Uh, Missy Jenkins Smith, and I'm going to keep my word on that. I want to hear from her meantime, I am going to switch gears, head down to Florida. Um, we have all seen them, folks trying to dance the night away, but could this outdoor recital keep the cops away? Find out if Betty Ballerina beat the DUI.
2: Let them show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Scan the QR code. Don't wait. Scan the code now and ask about the Bosley Guarantee.
0: I like a street party as much as the next guy, but 38 year old Amy Harrington has gone next level. She was pulled over in Pinellas County after rear ending another car just a mile from her home. But when the police showed up and tried to give her a field sobriety test, this is how she performed. And, and when I say performed, I mean performed. <laughs> Wondering whether this little road show had the desired effect on the responding officers. This should settle all doubt. Uh, she refused to submit to a blood test and she was charged with DUI. She was also charged with property damage and refusal to submit to testing. The officers also said they found a drink in her car that sure did smell like booze. And as it turns out, she's done this dance before. She refused to be tested for alcohol back on March 3rd as well, though it is unclear what became of that incident. But we can say with utter clarity that in this case, the jig was up. See what I did there? <laughs> All right, that's it for us tonight. Thanks for being with us, everyone. We'll see you right back here tomorrow at 10.